Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. I'll try not to do this too fast so that people can think as we go along. Ahava you loved us a great love, Hashem, our deity. You mercied us a great mercy. Our father, our king, or our parent, our sovereign, for the sake of our ancestors who trusted you and you taught them laws of life, thus may you also favor us and teach us. So I'm up to Avinu Avarachaman, our father, merciful father, or wumi father. Hamrachem, Rachem Aleinu. We have the same word conjugated three different times. The merciful one, or the compassionate one, have compassion on us. What are we asking God to do that embodies this compassion? Tain uh, place it in our minds or help our minds discern and be wise and hear and learn and teach and keep and observe and fulfill at Kol Divrei Talmud Torah all the words of your path of instruction uh, or your Torah teaching lovingly. Okay? So God, you loved us. Our ancestors trusted you, so you gave them laws of life. So may you also please favor us and help us think of or accept Vitain Bilibenu or dwell on all and um, this Torah also. Be'ahava. So do this for us lovingly or help us to do these things lovingly. Illuminate our eyes by means of your Torah or by means of your instruction. Call, cause our hearts, our minds to cleave to your mitzvot. And unify our minds or help us make us single-minded. To both love and reverence your name. So that we will never be put to shame. Why or what will help us do this? Because we place our trust in your great name. Uh, I don't think we pointed out last time, but notice that's what our ancestors did in line three. Shabbat Chubacha, right? Avotenu Shabbat Chubacha. And now we say, So we said, we're saying, please favor us the way you favored our ancestors. Our ancestors put their faith in you. We also put our faith in you. Same verb, okay? So we're sort of entitled to ask for God to favor us as God favored the ancestors because we are emulating them in this act of bitachon, or as we say, in yeshivish bitachon. Okay. Faith in God. Trust in God. Nagila v'nismecha b'shu'atecha. 
And it adds, the first kind of note that we've heard of this, we will rejoice in your protection. So this is now a, this Yeshua, this mention of Yeshua, Bitachon and Yeshua. Up until now, the ancestors Bitachon didn't say anything about, uh, I'll call it the practical outcome of that, the tachlis outcome of that in the world. Um, but now we have a turn once we mention Yeshua, salvation or saving or protection. Now we have, I would call it the practical turn into, sorry, practical isn't a good word. Let's say historical, okay? Then we have the historical turn into, first mention of any such idea like this in the whole prayer. So it's sort of coming out of left field and Yeshua saving or protection is the, is the axis that allows it now to turn to history, okay? Bring us in peace from the four corners of the earth. And bring us uh, upright to our land. So we have this word Yeshua again. For you are the God who does salvations, okay? Protections. And after all, Uvanu Vacharta Mikolam Vilashon, and I think this is the first, although we're obviously talking about God love, loved us as opposed to all other nations and gave us the Torah, I think this is the first mention in the paragraph of the actual verb, Livchor, to choose. Okay? So you chose us out of all nations and peoples, literally nations and languages. To bring us close to your great name, to bring us faithfully close to your great name. All right? So we said, God, you are merciful to us for the sake of our ancestors who trusted you. Please teach us Torah the way they learned Torah. Um, illuminate our eyes in Torah. Make us single, single-mindedly devoted to you so that we'll never be humiliated. We trust in your great name and we'll rejoice in your Yeshua. Conceptual link. Yeshua, saving, protection, bring us from the four corners of the earth, restore us to our land, for you are the saving God, and hey, you chose us, right? Now there's an implication here, uh, again, the link between you chose us to give us the Torah, which was very well described throughout this paragraph, and now we're saying, um, hey, and since you chose us, could you also please fulfill the promises about being restored to our land. Which I always wonder um, about passages like this, how we read them in an era where we could choose to live in Israel, but we choose to live here. So it makes perfect sense in the 16th century. Um, And in current times, if, if you live in Israel, it makes perfect sense also. I just wonder how it resonates with us 
um, who, who choose to live here in the diaspora. In a Zionist era, we still choose to live here. Just want to point that out. So bring us clo- to, uh, you chose us, to Vikei Raftanu, and uh, bring us close to your name. Lehodot um, lecha, to thank you or acknowledge you. Uliachedcha beyahava, and to unify you lovingly. That's literally what that means. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not sure trying to think what is the pshat, the simple manifest meaning of when we say to God, we want to unify you. I, I guess the pshat means we're going to say that your name is one, like in the Shema and the next line. And certainly there are all sorts of Kabbalistic interpretations of, you know, we're the ones who, you know, uni- you know all sorts of Kabbalistic things about, uh, you know, unifying the masculine principle in the fem- with the feminine principle, it's all over the Zohar and Kabbalah that you know God is uh, God is in separate parts and discombobulated in the universe, and it's up to us to help pull God back together. That would probably be a Kabbalistic interpretation. Baruch Hashem Habocher Ba'Mo Yisrael and this wraps it all together very nicely because it puts together Bocher. Chosenness, which is obviously what it's about, all about, but it's not mentioned until three lines before the end, that verb. And Ahava, which is what it starts with. So certainly there's mention of bring us to the land, um, um, but it starts out with, and it's mostly about Torah. Um, so the prayer, by the way, is called Ahava Rabbah. Sometimes it's actually called Birkat HaTorah also, the Torah blessing. So if someone said, what's Ahava Rabbah about? We could say it's about the Torah. God gave us the Torah. Or we could say it's about God's love for us, as evidenced in the Torah. Uh, or in the context of Yotzer, the first bracha about God of the universe, um, if we talk theological terms, of the, again, this, uh, this was best articulated by the theologian early in the last century, Franz Rosenzweig, um, one aspect of God's relatedness to us is revelation, sorry, is Creation, that's Yotzer. And another aspect of God's related to us is revelation. So where do we find God's hand? Where do we find God in the world? One way is through nature. That's blessing number one. A second way is through revelation, which in this bracha is evidence of God's love, not God's burden, not God's strictness, not God's demand, but God's love and God's relatedness to us. God relates to us lovingly by giving us the instruction guidebook. That's what Ahavarabha seems to me to be about. So I will now pause for a question, comment, things you've been holding on to the last few weeks. Larry, unmute. Yeah, um, I have a couple of comments. It's, and but they lead to questions for you about the history of this prayer and the fact that we know that there's a different prayer said in Mariv yep. that's saying similar things. However, yep. I have a theory that I can't, I don't have any proof for. This is actually an amalgam of two brachot or two different prayers. This is a mashup. 
And I think that the first part about Ahava is very clear. It's similar to the Marif prayer. It's about loving God and God's love for us, leading into the Shema in the first paragraph of the Shema. That seems to be to be clear. But then we get starting with the Yachid of Yavenu, yeah. which is also the unifying, the oneness, make one our hearts, right? But then we get this, what I find, very strange reference to um, um, uh, um, shame, the lonevush, lonevush, which, which I know you've talked about, you've tried to explain, it just seems to me to be completely out there. And then we get the business of Yeshua and about choice, about being chosen, and about um, exile, because to be back from the four corners in Israel, already dispersed. These are all very different ideas, completely different. And it strikes me that that was probably a prayer, whether it was a bracha or not, on its own. And in the end, the blessing is, the ending of the blessing is quite different than in the evening, because it says, so it's about choosing, whereas in the evening, the ending is simply, Right, although you're a little ahead of us, because we haven't read the evening bracha yet, but go ahead. But no, but you talked about, I think you talked about the fact that the Sfardim don't do the, do the same prayer, and we, we do two different prayers, so obviously there was a divergence in the history of which of these of prayers we say in the morning, which we say in the evening. So it just seems to me that there is a big division, starting at Vayachel Vivenu, and I hypothesize that this was not written as one prayer, but written as two prayers with two completely different themes. But I have to study it, which I'm not capable of doing. It, so I'm in your hands. To tell me whether there's any evidence of that at all. Um, well, my answer would be: I believe the bracha, as it stands, is already there in the first sidurim that we have from 800 and 900 the years, eight, the the ninth century and the tenth century. So I do not believe we have any evidence of your hypothesis. And your hypothesis, I just want to point out, is an approach. You know, there are, there are psalms, let's just say, where there's a change of mood or a change of direction in the psalm. And some readers, some modern scholars, tend to say, well, this must have originally been two things that were put together. And other people tend to say, well... Uh, Maybe that's an easy out. That's the literary easy out. And maybe it makes it harder for us as the reader to say the poet or the author uh, had a complex thought process and was not following the prompt, um, please write an essay about one thing and one thing only. Right? So apparently... Um, in terms of what we have, by the way, your your question, even if your hypothesis were correct, right, there's still then someone who put those two things together. So there's still someone who thought that this belongs together. You loved us. You gave us the Torah. All right. We'll keep it. 
so that we'll never, by the way, again, in the Sephardi version, which is, so we'll never be shamed, stumbled, or humiliated. It has more of a sense that it's not just internal shame like a feeling, I want to hide my face because I'm ashamed, but rather, I guess a, a more, um, I want to say active, because I'm thinking about stumbling, right? Okay. Meaning, okay. we'll always have a guide. If we follow Torah, we'll always have a guide, right? We're never going to say, I'm ashamed of what I did. I'm ashamed of being Jewish. I don't know what to do, right? You gave us, you gave me an instruction book, which gives me a sense of um, integrity and confidence, right? Or, and it's not just a sense of, I'm trying to make it not just a sense of, but but that I'm able to enact life with integrity and confidence rather than enacting life by saying, I did the wrong thing, I don't know what to do. I I don't know, I'm not sure where I am now. Um, But yes, and this author connects it to salvation and bringing us to the land. If you really chose us, God, again, I read it as, okay, if you really chose us, God, then bring us back to the land. Let's not just have it be Torah. Right, this is part of the package. By the way, we know historically from the Bible, it is part of the package, right? God chooses the ancestors and says to them, you walk in my ways and I will give you this land. Okay, Um, uh, it's an important part of what the promise is. That's all I have to say about that, I don't know. Larry, was there another question in there? No, no. Okay. Let's look at the evening bracha. The evening version of it. 200 in the Sim Shalom and in the 137 in the Slim Shalom. And we'll see how it's similar or different. By the way, again, just to say, there's a dispute in the Gemara, whether this, in the Talmud, whether this second blessing should start Avarabah or Ahavat Olam, and the, resol- I think it's, it might be a dispute between Rav and Shmuel, first generation of Babylonian Amoraim, and then the conclusion is, okay, therefore we say Avarabah in the morning, we say Avat Olam in the evening, but Sephardim say Ahavat Olam, uh, just to make it clear, Sephardi Mizrahim also say Avad Olam in the morning. It doesn't mean they say this whole paragraph of the evening. They say Avad Olam Ahavtanu Hashem Elokeinu Chemlagido Lavite Rachamaltaleinu. They say the morning prayer. They just have the first two words be Avad Olam rather than Avarabah. So, with an eternal love, you loved your people, Israel. Which is it again? Uh, in the Sim Shalom 200. And in the Slim 137, as Michael said, um, with an eternal love, you loved your people, the house of Israel. We jump right in. The evidence of that is you taught us Torah and mitzvot, laws and laws, statutes and laws, however you want to translate. Okay. Okay. Um, therefore, Hashem, our God, 
Bishoch Venu Uvkumenu, when we go, when we lie down and when we get up, which is again, we said that's what's called a merism, which means all the time. It doesn't mean only when we lie down and only when we get up, but all day long, okay? And of course, it mentions lying down because it's now bed t- evening time. We're going to go home and go to sleep. So all the time, at night and by day, when we go to sleep and when we rise up, nasiach bechukecha. Nasiach means to sort of mull over or talk about. Okay? May we... Uh, here it translates as think of. Okay. Um, sort of means mull, mull over, talk about, meditate on. In modern, in modern Israeli, it actually means converse. Okay. Um, so let us cogitate and discuss your chukim, your laws. Vini smach. And let us, I'm going to turn back to the morning one so I can comparison. Okay, right? Remember we said, Nagila Venismecha Bishuatecha. May we rejoice in your Yeshua, your salvation. Here that we have rejoice again, Venismach, but we're rejoicing in Torah and Mitzvot forever. Okay? So, God, you loved us, you gave us the Torah and Mitzvot. Therefore, let us meditate on them. So what's missing here? Nothing about ancestors, right? Um, Nothing about um, salvation or the land. Ki, heim chayenu. And what does heim refer to? Everyone knows this because it's, because of the old ki heim chayenu ve'orech yamenu, which is either Karlbach or Hasidic Song Festival 1960-something. I have no idea which it is, right? So they, literally, that means they are our life and our length of days. What does heim they refer to? It's divrei toratecha umitzvotecha. For the words of your Torah and your mitzvot, they are our life. And Orech Yamenu, the length of our days, which sort of means they are our long life, which is curious. Obviously, it means they are the source of long life. Okay, they will give us long life, but literally it means for they our they are our length and length of days. Uvahem Nehege Yomam Valaila. So Nehege is like Nasiach, and it means to articulate or murmur or articulate, okay? So let us speak about them in, in simple thought, day and night. So this takes us back to Shochvenu Uvekumenu. And I managed to throw in merism, so now I'll throw in the other thing, the one that Rabbi Rambam always likes to talk about, chiasm, right, which means A-B-B-A. Notice we have bishochvenu uvkumenu, when we go to sleep and then we wake up, and may we dwell on then yomam valayla. So we have night, day, day, night. Everyone follow that? Not If you follow that, nod your head, so I know that at least someone followed it. When we go to sleep and when we wake up, Learn it by day and by night. Again, which is a way of saying all the time. Ve'avatcha, 
and your love. Do not re- re- remove it from us ever. Olamin. Baruch Hashem. Ohev Amo Yisrael. Very simple closing. Right? So, Avad Olam. Ohev Amo Yisrael. Middle of the paragraph. What is the evidence of the Ahava? Is you gave us the Torah and Mitzvot. And we... And we say, this is what gives us long life, and way we learn it forever. So I would actually say, um, sort, sort of um, sort of in keeping what with Larry said, Larry's objection to Ahava, morning Ahava Rabbah being such a um, meandering or complicated paragraph, that this, uh, the nighttime version, is a much clearer, simpler, if you want, cleaner articulation of this idea of God loves us and the evidence of that is Torah. Therefore, let us keep doing Torah. It's a much more, uh, it's, a, it's a less bumpy, less complicated paragraph. Does everyone see that? Nothing about salvation, nothing about the land. There's nothing about the ancestors. You loved us. You gave us Torah. Let us do Torah. Uh, you, uh, and it closes with, Again, Oheva Mo Israel. This is evidence of love for us. By the way, uh, which you translate as wombiness all the time. That's also not here. It's not here. It's just Ahava. Correct. Love. Um, I also want to point out we have um, a recurring word, which is Olam. We have it three times. Avat Olam, eternal love. Let us rejoice in your Torah, le'olam va'ed, forever. And vavatchal tasirimenu le'olamim, forever. Uh, you know, and Sidur commentators commonly say about something like this, they say, well, um, the difference between Mariv prayers and Shachri prayers, nighttime is a time of... Uh, Heading into nighttime is a time of anxiety, fear, right? It's easy to feel good in the morning. You wake up, you say like, ah, the sun is out, the flowers are blossoming, it looks beautiful, okay? And, um, and uh, nighttime is more time of, of, of darkness, shutting down, worry, Right, whether that's that, whether that's ancient or medieval world anxiety that the world is scary at night because there's no light and wild animals around or and bad people are around and that's why cities had to have gates that locked the city gates at night to keep the city secure, um, or whether it's our modern. I hear about this all the time as a psychiatrist. People who lie lie in bed at night being anxious and ruminating. So one way or the other, whether it's for practical, you know, physical reasons or for uh, psychological reasons, nighttime is more a time of um, less obvious, uh, maybe trust and optimism can be harder. Let's put it that way, psychologically. And so many of the Sidur commentators will say, and so the nighttime prayers want to double down on emphasizing some sense of trust and security. They're not so much, morning prayers are like, thank you, God, this is great, 
okay? Evening prayers are like, okay, we hold on to our trust because that's all we have in the darkness, either literally or metaphorically, okay? And so that might be why this paragraph has something like olam, right? It's like, uh, what's the phrase? We're whistling in the dark, right? The evidence of your love for the world is that the sun came up. It's dark now, okay? So I have to trust that you really do love us eternally, which means this will not last forever. I don't have to worry about the city gates being locked or wild animals being around or, or my own internal anxious ruminations forever because morning is going to come again. So I just want to suggest... I don't think I made this up. I think I read it somewhere. This is why the emphasis, this is why it's a Havat Olam at night rather than a Havat Rabbah, right? In the morning, God's love for us is ab- abundant and abundantly obvious, all right? In the evening, we sort of say it as an assertion that it's eternal because you may actually not be able to see it. I know that's a little counterintuitive, right? And by the way, there are also commentators who point out that um, olam, the root olam, can mean eternal, and it can also mean hidden. And um, Kabbalah plays with this double meaning of olam a lot, the hidden God, right? So you could say at, at nighttime, it's the hidden love, right? You could make a nice drosh about it, about how sometimes God's love for us is hidden. So it's nighttime, maybe God's love is hidden, but we are insisting that it's there. You gave us Torah mitzvot and we're going to cling to it forever and ever and ever. So that's just a few thoughts in there. Meyer. Um, I was thinking that in terms of this idea of cycles, um, this being, you know, foreshadowing the morning bracha version of this and at the same time also reflecting the morning bracha version of this, there's an interaction between them. Yeah. In the sense that one is almost synopsizing the other or if you look at it, foreshadowing the other, and the fact that it's projecting the other. I also think that the morning one is more, it's teaching. We talk about, you know, shame or your word in shame that means you're interacting with other people and thinking about nation building. You have a day ahead of you of things that you're going to do Good. in interfacing with people. Yeah. And a priority given on education, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as opposed to this, which is you're going to be by yourself with your family, you know, Obviously, the bracha, the bracha before that, focusing on the night, the constellations in the sky, and the stars, etc., very much setting a tone and a mood and a feeling and an atmosphere for you know feeling the evening embrace you, which of course we did much more before you know. Modifying. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I think it's I think it's fantastic. Actually. And then to go along with that, Meyer, the verbs of how we engage with Torah here are nasiach and neheget. So during the day, we're going to go out and we're going to do and we're going to teach, right? And the nation building. But at night, all there is is your cogitations, right? It's kind of your thoughts. You know, whether you review your day, you think about what you're going to do tomorrow, but you're not actually doing anything at night, right? You're more, I don't want to call it passive, but you're not active out in the world and you might be more in your head, okay? Um... And that's what we're doing. So it doesn't say go out and do the mitzvot now, right? Or teach. It says we will nasiach and neheget, 
right? Where we'll talk about or cogitate on, okay? Which is more of a evening kind of activity. The other thing I just want to reiterate, Meyer mentioned this, but I want to sort of flesh it out, is this, the, the evening version of Avarabad, which is about the cycling, right? Fits very nicely after the evening version of the first bracha, right? The first bracha in the evening was all about the cycling of day and night, and the second bracha also mentions cycling of day and night, okay? So we could say in our, in, in the first bracha Yotzer, what we noticed, I'm going to put it this way, what we noticed about the cycle was the light changed, or what changed by evening is, you know, the, the, start, the cycle of time, which is evident to our eye, and then um, if we look at the two versions of Avaraban and Avarolam, what's cycled now is we're no longer active, we're no longer necessarily learning, teaching, going back to our land, or, or being ashamed and stumbling or not. All we're doing is we're kind of um, mulling, right? Reminds me of, a, you know, Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, uh, says before you say shma, Kriyat Shema Al Hamita, bedtime Shema, you're supposed to review your day and your mind, right? You're supposed to think like, where did I do good? And and I'm sure there are many mindfulness therapists who say that also. You know, where did I do good? And where did I do bad? And what could I be better at? And you know, um, whether that's journaling, whether that's just reviewing your day and your mind and your relationships and, and reflect on how's that going to impact on me tomorrow and what do I want to, what, whether it's what, what do I want to accomplish tomorrow or how do I want to change my actions tomorrow. So that, that's an aspect also perhaps of mulling Torah as you head into the nighttime. Okay, Larry? In speaking about Olam, I had this thought that I can't... I can't believe I haven't actually studied this or thought about it more. The word olam is basically the time-space continuum. Yes, it refers to space. Correct. It literally, pardon me for interrupting, it literally means, sorry, I don't want to say literally, it means um, infinity in space or time. In modern Hebrew, it generally refers to space. It means the world. In Biblical Hebrew and rabbinic Hebrew, it generally refers to time, right? It's infinity in time, infinite time, forever and ever. It doesn't mean the universe, usually, right? Okay, go ahead, Larry. Um, And even though the word isn't used in the morning blessing, except for once in the sense of infinite time, and not space, in the morning blessing, we actually talk about space because we talk about we talk about space in the sense of peoples. Peoples are occupying space. Okay, right. Supposed to time. Yeah. So maybe there is in this pivot that Meyer and you are talking about is also a pivot between focusing on space versus focusing on time. You got a good drop. You got the kernel of a good drosh there. Okay. <laughs> Okay, uh, I think let's wrap it up. And God willing, next week, I guess that means without further ado, we will proceed to the Shema. All right, so uh, any, any other thoughts that people want to sort of 
throw it, you know, your association with this emotionally, psychologically, cognitively, what does it do for you? Anything like that? I don't know. I want to I want to reemphasize again because I know a lot of people have trouble with the idea of chosenness that the chosenness here is not you made us intrinsically better or anything else but rather you gave us a path of instruction so that we know how to conduct ourselves right and it's both a receiving and it also confers um obligation Right? It's chukimu mishpatim. It's laws and statutes. You command it, right? Mitzvot, chukimu and mishpatim. Right? Commandments, laws, and statutes. All right. Everyone have a good day. Be Torah. Fulfill the laws and statutes. See you next week. God willing. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.